The Stages podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of the lands on which our artists and audiences meet. We pay our respect to past, present and emerging elders. We acknowledge the important role that art has played on these lands for thousands of years and feel privileged to work alongside artists continuing the creative practice of one of the oldest surviving cultures in the world. Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses with creative... Then the next block further down there was the Royal, then the Prince Edward was right opposite the Royal, then the Savoy. And we used to get fined if you were late for the half hour and fined for misbehaving on stage. Just for God's sake, do it better. (laughs) Sometimes that's all you can say. But when you've gone through that, you do get a lot of ego. And you go out there knowing that the one thing that's different every time is that audience. I didn't wake up until... I was in emergency. I was around the uh, world of actors as a child. Crawfords were needing a casting assistant. No business plan, no concept, no training. It's not something you could do now. Went to school on Friday, got on the bus on Saturday, auditioned for the show. They said, you've got the role. I never went back to school again. (laughs) Thank you. I've enjoyed being here talking about my favourite subject. You go and check me. (laughs) Yeah, it's a date. (laughs) It's a date. Hi there, I'm Peter Ayers and welcome to The Stages Podcast. Today my guest is Leah Howard. Leah has worked extensively across the entertainment industry, both as an actor and creative artist. She is a unique triple threat performer and a versatile director and choreographer. Leah is currently the Australian Associate Director of Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill. The musical is set for a return season to Sydney due to phenomenal demand and a sold-out season previously at the Theatre Royal. It is a thrilling new show that charters new territory for the musical theatre form. I had a joyous time with Leah exploring the show as well as her extensive career on and around many stages. Folks, here's my conversation with the delightful Leah Howard. There we go. So professional. Well, you know, we aim to please. And I matched my folder today, wearing pink and yellow. You're a bit of a fashionista, aren't you? (laughs) Look, I love fashion. I think it's fun. And you know what? Like, we work with some of the most amazing wardrobe, you know, designers, costume designers, um... And it's always just, I love it. It's inspiring because it allows me to go, you know what? I've worn that on a show. Why can't I wear it out in real life? I can. Yes, I can. <laughs> you know, I always like to take, well, I guess it's stealing. I just thought about that. Some of my costumes when I leave a show. Patty Lapone does it. <laughs> if Patty Lapone does it, I can do it too. <laughs> so so um, as a kid, were you always into fashion? I don't know. I don't think so. I liked being different. You know, I think my family always told me, you know, they always just always dressed me in colour. I loved it. I was never afraid of it. Um, Yeah, so I don't know if I was into fashion or my sisters were more into fashion and dressing me in fashion. But you're you're a very gregarious person. I mean, you put a smile on my face every time I see you. It's great. And and I think that, you know, the colours that you choose really represent that personality. Yeah, 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 I do. I love... And I think, you know, it's it's interesting because especially, you know, later in this in this time, knowing who I am more and as a person of colour, but with, you know, my family being white, Scottish, you know, adopted, it's... um Yeah, it's... 
I kind of kind of go, well, maybe that's why I wore a lot of colour in my early life. It was me presenting who I was without knowing, you know, like subconsciously. It's a weird thing to think about, but I do. I think maybe because, A, yes, they always loved colour, my family and dressing me in it, but it was part of me, it was part of my personality without knowing that it maybe had something to do with who I am, the colour of my skin and in society in that in that space. So, yeah, but I just love colour. I think it is, and it brings joy to people. Mm. That's what I want to do, you know. I love just, you know, it, it starts a conversation, it's fashion, it's bold, you know. It's just like, well, great, look, let's not, why not? Got nothing to lose. <laughs> it's a great thing about getting older too, isn't it, that, that you can reflect on what has gone before yes. and why you've made particular choices. Definitely, and, and, and you, you see it so much clearer, you know, and you can, you know, relish in that fact and know, and I think it's, especially with the world today and what we've gone through and what we're going through, it's really important to accept that and know what we've learned and what we've created as yeah. in our you know time before and and just see it as a as the journey you know that happened you know and where I am today you've got the most um contagious explosive laugh <laughs> <laughs> so, see, I oh, know, and it's it's the Ex- worst. Exhibit A, Exhibit A, when I'm in the theatre and I'm watching something extremely funny, it's yeah, it's hard to muffle it <laughs> because yeah, oh yeah, it's I just because it's just oh you know I just let it I let it out. I'm just like, well, we're laughing, we're laughing. Absolutely. What you makes know? you laugh? What do you find funny? Oh, lots of things. Um. Oh, you know, I love comedy. I love comedy and I love all sorts of comedy. And if it's played for real and it's, you know, it's that makes me laugh a lot. Um, My husband, Joe, makes me laugh a lot. We always laugh to the point where I get asthma. Um, So that's always really good. But lots of things make me laugh. You know, I think you've got to laugh a day. You know, because you've got to. It's good for you. It's oh, good yeah. for yourself. It's the best medicine. It is. Yeah, yeah. Um, Leah, you're a bit of a Renaissance woman. There are many strings to your bow. Um, versatility is a great asset, asset in this uh, industry, I guess. Definitely. You know, my my sisters um, really taught me that, that I had to be versatile um, growing up dancing. And look, when I was growing up... I maybe didn't really want to think I was going to be a performer as such. There was a time there where I thought I would be a policewoman, um, you know, and then I, you know, I was still attending all my dance classes and, you know, my family who started Brent Street, we were really, you know, they were adamant about being versatile. There was no copping out, not even as the baby sister, I was not allowed to get out of ballet. Not, those two ballet classes were like my, I hated them. You know, and my sisters were like, well, if you don't do it, you can't do anything else. And if you don't do anything else, you're not going to be an all rounder. So versatility was really it was it was just the way it had to be. Wasn't you know, you just had to do everything because it was good for the world that I was going to live in eventually. And I am so glad for it. You know, I'm so glad for those two ballet classes, especially where my career's gotten to now, because you know, it allows you to see so many things and comment and on so many things and have actual information and, and, you know, and I have that, I have it all to back it up. 
you know, I did all those classes. I did all those tap classes. I did all those singing classes. I did a song and dance, you know, solo, and I hated it, but I did it, you know, because, and it's made me who I am today, you know, knowing that I did all of that, you know, and it was, and I can appreciate it and I can talk about it and I can educate about it, you know. So that was, I think that's what's really important about versatility, you know. Did you do all of the Sedfords? Yeah. <laughs> I roll. What I, look... <laughs> I mean, that's a whole other podcast. Yes, I did all the Estedfords. Myself and Matt Lee, um, who plays Olaf in Frozen, we grew up dancing together. He was one of um, our first students at Brent Street as well when he was little. But we did all the Estedfords. And look, luckily he was there. He was one of my best friends. And I kind of just went to the Estedfords for social, Mm. (laughs) you know, for the social life of it and the social aspect of it. But, yeah, I did them. But they're such... They're strange things, but you know what? We had we got out there and we got to perform on stage and we really understood, you know, you got to understand what an audience was. Well, they provide a wonderful opportunity for all of those dance schools to actually yeah. get out there and do it. Yeah, it did, and, yeah. you know, and it still does today. You know, I have my reservations about some things, but, it yeah, it was, and it was just... We got to know people, you know. We got to meet other dancing school kids with, you know, similar interests and likes and still become lifelong friends, you know. Like, there's people still in the industry now that, you know, we saw at the McDonald's of Stedford, you know, down at the Opera House, which was also amazing to, you know... You see, you go and see artists perform at the Opera House and they talk about how it's their first ever time performing at the Opera House. And I go, shit. Oh, sorry. Um, But I'm like, you know, I go, oh, wow. That's, um, I did like, you know, 10 years of my life performing on this stage. This was where we, you know, really planted our seed of performing on that Opera House stage. And you, you think back when you hear artists of this time say that this is their first time ever, you go, oh, how like how lucky and how fortunate how amazing that this is where we grew up this was the stage that we grew up on Mm. you know that's spectacular Mm. you know that's yeah you didn't know it was really special at the time but now when you look back as we say it was just like wow yeah we danced on that stage maybe a hundred times maybe more you know that's cool so show business being the family business was there an expectation that that you would go into that and be a performer I don't know, actually. I think... I don't know. I can't... I don't think so. I think my sisters... Because I also like to, you know, walk to the own beat of my drum, you know. I I don't think my sisters... They weren't pushy for me because I would just rebel if they did. So they just let me gradually, you know, go into it. And I think they knew that I would just end up there anyway. Um... But, yeah, I don't think there was an expectation. I don't think our my, our parents, you know, I don't think our parents thought that I was going to end up in it. Maybe. Maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> but you're happy. But I ha- Yes, yes, very. <laughs> so, Leah, how, how important is it to blow your own horn in this business? Oh, I don't like blowing my own horn, but... I, yeah, yeah, well, I think performers can be um, naturally very shy people. Yes, yes. And it is very yeah. hard to sort yeah. of... Uh, uh, push it, your push your barrow. It is, you know. I just like to think that the work, my work, speaks for itself. You know, um, I just like to be present. I like to. It's also about for me. I just, you know, it is. It's the work that we do and the stuff we create as teams, as um, you know, individuals or you know, within community. It's just, you know, it's just that's the important stuff and the conversations we have. You know, as 
as artists in together as friends as a family I think you know that's kind of just doing the work is you know the best way I think I can blow my own horn is just you know by really doing the work and I really do care a lot about the projects I'm on probably sometimes too deeply but I just I love that you know it's just because I want to commit I want to give you know our family our community of artists all of the time that I have for that project you know each time so I think that's the best blowing of my horn I can Absolutely. possibly Absolutely. describe. Well, the current project that you are on is the Australian Associate Director on Jagged Little Pill, yes. the Alana Morissette musical. Yes. Uh, not your typical jukebox musical, is it? No, definitely not. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I look. It's funny because people do call it a jukebox musical, and I guess that's. By so definition, I suppose it is. Like, by definition, I guess of... it is. Yeah, but it's just. I don't know if, as I said, you know, it feels deeper than that for me. You know, it's really these truth tellers and these storytellers up on this stage that, you know, are, I guess, you know, are are very relatable to all of us as people. Um, You know, and it's just, it is, it's it's a lot. It's a lot as a show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the content is not your typical musical. That's I mean, right. There's a lot of emotionally wrought themes. Yeah, and I think that's why I don't. You know, that's why I think jukebox musical because it is really deep and it really is raw. And I think the thing about Jagged Little Pill and what Diane Paulus, the director, um, and um, Diablo Cody and Alanis, they all really they went deep into their souls for this. And Alanis is a very deep person and is very connected to society and her emotions and I'm not sure if you've read, heard any of her podcasts that she does but oh, she does a podcast. yeah she oh, does okay. so she's and she's you know right into psychology and therapy and you know healing so I think that's really why Jagged Little Pill is so deep and so raw um, because Alanis was very adamant that it wasn't a bio you know it wasn't a biography of her at all so you know it's yeah and it is and it's you know the actors that we have playing these characters are phenomenal and are just so brave and bold that they just dig deep it's it's tiring it's tiring to watch them do it eight shows a week but you can imagine that they're tapping in so so heavily um every night that it's just it's extraordinary as the associate director, you're the caretaker of that story. Um, I assume it could be pretty tough managing all of those themes and ensuring that your company are okay and, and going through that every yeah. night, eight times a week. Yeah, it is. How do you approach that? With just care and connection and conversation. You know, where all the it is it's it's definitely about conversation, and because Diane has really asked for people to bring themselves as well a little bit of themselves into their characters that's what kind of that's that really fine line of you know allowing yourself to as actors to go deep and then pull yourself out of it every night you know so it is it's just a lot of conversation it's a lot of hugs there's a lot of you know there's a lot of just safety and um care around this show and around the actors that play it you know, and reminding them, and lots of reminding uh, of how to, you know, tap in and tap out of these characters every night. Well, drug addiction, gender-based violence, racism, queerphobia, marriage disintegration. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, <laughs> I, I say. 
Yep. And it is. And yeah, it's so like, it's been a real eye opener. I've never worked on a show this deep and this, let's say heavy, you know, for want for a better word. Um, and it is, it's so, it's just everything we learn as actors and performers, you know, putting it into place, really like going into your techniques and, you know, for those actors. And for me too, as I look at it from an actor's point of view so that I can feel with them, you know, so it makes it, it makes it, I guess, a lot more um, relatable and comfortable for me to go into those characters with them so that we can have the conversations and I can feel the way that they feel, which I think is, you know, it's important. You know, I could just, like, take notes and pass on the notes and not care. Yeah. But you can't with this because yeah. it it comes around full circle from it being about the character then back around to being about the performer, you know. So you have to just listen and be present and really be careful and mindful about where these conversations take. If we need a cup of tea, you need to tap out. Yeah. You need to go get some air, yeah. you know. One of the most um, impressive components of the show I found was the choreography. Oh. Because that choreographer really physicalised all of that emotional trauma that was happening with the character so beautifully. Yeah, yeah. Sidi Labi Chakawi is extraordinary and we were lucky to have him here for a little bit of the time but Mark Kimmelman who was his associate choreographer who um, had done the show on Broadway and their, the knowledge and the it is, it's so connective again you know but you're also stirring all that emotion through the gestural choreography of it um which is astounding to watch because it fits you know the piece so because and and Larby had not really choreographed for musical theater before so when Diane got him on board she was just like yep this is where we're going and you know and he sees things so viscerally and I like to call him Yoda um, <laughs> because he is just wonderfully informed and connected to his own self through um, you know dance and choreography so yeah because he's a non-musical choreographer yep non-musical choreographer he did uh, well I like to always say he you know he did Beyonce he did part of the Black is King um, presentation for Beyonce and he does lots of film and lots and he has a company in, oh, God, I know, maybe you should, I think, not Berlin, I can't remember, but he has, yeah. Some exotic Yeah, some, some European country he <laughs> has a um, a company that he's the direct, creative director of. So, but, yeah, his vision for this show, you know, and it's just, I think Diane put the team together, you know, with such a, the the connection and the power that they all had together was pretty amazing and Larby's touch on it is just yeah it just really talks into that deepness and the richness of choreographically moving a story along you know and having everyone connect and be avatars or or, or souls of these main characters so yeah it was a really complex but you know yeah. spectacular idea Without giving anything away, but you know, I'm, I'm, it's burnt into my psyche that wonderful moment with the mother on the couch. It's just yeah. extraordinary, yeah. and also the mum when she goes off to the pharmacy, oh. and then everything yeah. is just yeah. played like, in reverse. Yeah, Spe- like the the ideas are spectacular, um, but and just so clever, so clever. You know, and it's funny because Larby is also a 90s child who just loves Janet Jackson. So <laughs> so when you look at his choreography and then you think about, you know, when we're in rehearsals and when, you know, jumping out Janet Jackson choreography because we love it both together, you know, it's just like, wow, you just, you're a 90s child who just wants to do The Running Man, yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Did you know the score before you started the show? Did you grow up with the album? Well, I did, but I was more an, I was more of an R and B hip hop girl. Yeah. So you know, I loved I loved the the top forty stuff of Alanis's. Um, I remember the secret track, but I don't remember the secret track. And you know, and then until they put it in the show, and I went, oh, that's the secret track. Um, and for those of you who don't know, there is a secret track on the Jagged Little Pill. Way back in the 90s, they were hiding tracks and, you know, leaving 11 minutes. I think it's 11 minutes at the final at the final song and then the secret track arrives. Um, but, yeah, I, I remember vaguely having a period of Doc Martens and a little bit of grunge for myself, but I was much more of an R&B hip-hop chick. Yeah. But it is. It's still, you know, it's still... You do. You remember all the songs because it was played everywhere yeah. back then, you know. I think it's, we're also at the 27th year of the album being released wow. this week, yeah. Wow. Where did that time go? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, you were sent to Broadway to learn oh, the show. Yes. How exciting. Exciting. With the Broadway company? <laughs> yeah, exciting. It was, we were still in lockdown. And then all of a sudden I was on a plane with 15 people. On the whole plane? Yeah, on the whole plane. Because no one could go anywhere. Yeah. So I was sitting on a plane and going to New York City and stepping off the plane into a freer world than I'd, you know, into a freer country than I'd just left. It was bizarre. Yeah. It was the most bizarre thing. And I was meant to start rehearsals at the end of the week and they'd heard I arrived and the next minute I'm on Zoom with like 100 people doing cultural and diversity workshops and gender diverse um, and equality workshops with all these faces that I've never known. I'm like, I'll just come out. I'm like, what's happening here? Um, oh, wow. Okay. Hi, I'm Leah. I'm, uh, I actually don't even know what my role is right now. I'm just sitting here looking at these wonderful Broadway faces yeah. doing a course, you know, which, you know, workshops, which were amazing as well. But it was a shock. And like looking at, you know, um, the Chrysler building from my window going, where am I? <laughs> Waiting for someone to come up and rat test me, you know, three times in that day before I could actually step into a studio. Right. It was bizarre. And then had all my rat tests, you know, the nurses kept coming to the room, got into rehearsals and was just like, Hi, I guess I'm here to learn a show. And Diane was like, right, sit here, sit next to me. Here we go. And so I thought I was going to be there for seven weeks. Yeah. And then obviously our dates got pushed forward. So I had two two weeks. To learn the show. Yeah, and, they, and the day that we were, the last day of rehearsals in the rehearsal room, they hadn't even, we hadn't even got to the end. I hadn't never seen a run of the show. They were on the last 20 minutes of the scene and I get a call from our Australian producers. Hi, you have to go, pack your bags. Um, you're leaving on the next plane out of here. And I was like, what? <laughs> and they were like, yeah, you've got to get on because the quotas, we still had quotas. Right. And so if I didn't get on the plane that afternoon, I wouldn't be able to leave for another three months. And we started rehearsals in three weeks. Right. So I was just like, oh my gosh, okay. I haven't even seen the show. Can I not like leave in like tomorrow? They were like, no, we can't get you on another plane. So you need to leave. And I literally like went, okay, bye Diane. She's like, where are you going? I'm like, back to Australia. She was like, what? We haven't even finished the show. And I was like, I've got to go. I've just got to go. That's it. So I never, ever saw an actual run of the whole show. Wow. 
Um, Did you get any uh, video, video footage? Or uh, when I got back, right. so I got a few, but then we were doing a whole new show. Yeah. So poor Nat was still there and Peter Rutherford, our musical director. So Nat Bass and him were there because their flights were all, and Pete was staying to take the show into the theatre at Broadway, but Nat was still up in the air and didn't know when they when they could get her home it was a whole to do and the worst part i mean two weeks we've only like maybe just come out of our jet lag there was there was a day there where nat and i both were sitting in we were sitting with our folders on our scripts and they're doing i can't remember what scene it was it was a scene with the mum and the dad with mj and steve diane and they were all sitting at the table and we were sitting on the lounge observing and just there but then we both started to go to sleep (laughs) and like I was really struggling to keep my eyes open Nat started like kicking on the lounge because she was sitting there like having these little kind of conniptions and trying to keep herself awake and we looked at our notes the next day and went I've just got wavy lines everywhere (laughs) it was really one day that the jet lag had really kicked in an important moment and poor Nat and I were just like what happened? I hope no one saw us falling asleep like that. It was You've got no control over it. No it's, it's control. Like an, an anaesthetic. Oh, it was terrible. <laughs> it was so terrible. But yeah, it was amazing. And to meet the cast of Broadway, you know, it was it was important. Like I don't think I could actually have taken on the role if I hadn't. Those two weeks were fine, seven weeks would have been nicer, but it was just important to be in that room with everyone. And even though, you know, half of that week was built with workshops and knowledge and, and information and education, it was so great that we got that enabled to bring that back to our production in Australia and really change the game and, you know, change the way that Jagged Little Pill was going to be presented. Well, they were breaking new ground on Broadway also. So and, much. You know, there's a little bit of controversy around that production as yep. well, but but they were forging new territory. Really. Forging so much new territory. And it is, and it's, you know, it's funny because it isn't your Broadway musical. And it, it was hard, you know, it was hard for them, but they were, did it and they were pushing the boundaries. And, you know, and I think we've, like, really extended um, that, you know... Um, that status of the show in Australia and pushing, you know, boundaries and, and releasing and communicating and creating community and allowing people to be seen and to really have, you know, other aspirations about what musical theatre is, you know, which is, is really great. And you see it, you know, you see it within Moulin Rouge, you see it within Hamilton. It's just, it's so great that we're having these shows in this country as well. Yeah. You know, it is. It's and it's great to feel a part cast, of that. We can cast and we them can in cast country, them in yeah. this country. Yeah. And it's really great to be a part of that, you know, within our community about you know, forging new direction. It's really, really cool. Yeah. So um, it's of course it's not your first um ride as resident director. You've no. done a whole series of shows. And how exciting to work with the original creatives oh. on, on these shows. And I'm thinking of Rocky Horror, where oh. you got to work with oh. Richard O'Brien. Yeah, well, oh, wow, like, <laughs> work with. Um, yeah, yeah. It was, like, it still is one of the highlights of my life, you know, just to be with him, you know. And we had, you know, we had just had such a great relationship with him. He is such a a force he's you know even in his you know mature age and as he you know goes into he just still his brain is still switched on and is still active and still the you know the care of the show and the understanding of the show and also wanting to bring you know the show into the new world and and add little things you know I mean 
it's probably never ideal that the creator stands in the wings, you know, during the show. But <laughs> with Richard, what are you going to do? You know, yeah. it, it's Richard O'Brien. And it was just, it's riveting, but it's also, you know, deterring for actors, I'm sure, as they come off to be grabbed. And, okay, you know, like have a little little note session. But uh, yeah, it's not ideal, but he has such, it's it's watching a, an artist, you know, it's, they have these creative explosions and they need to release them. But yeah, you know, it's, it's not the norm and it you know some people don't like it and some people love it and each to their own but you know it, it it's pretty spectacular watching those brains work you know you know at the at the speed of lightning and just on the fly did you ever get to go on as the narrator no, I don't think I did. I no, I didn't. Thank I, goodness. I was delighted to read oh. that, that you were understudy to the narrator, because oh. you'd be a fabulous Well, writer. you know, and I was understudy to Bert Newton. I was understudy to Richard O'Brien. I can say that, you know, um, understudy to Cameron Daddo. So I was like, wait, you know what? That, that, that's me done. I can put that on my CV. Yeah. Yeah. Um, great contrast, I guess, to the School of Rock. Oh, yeah. Where you're working with children. Awesome. I love, you know, I love teaching kids. You know, it's... It's in my blood Um, and just, you know, being, watching them evolve through life and being able to be a part of that, you know, from a a work point of view was really exciting and just such a, it's such a different level, you know, it's, we had, gosh, I mean, we had what, 12, we had, I don't even know if we had 32 or 64 kids that we were working through every day, you know, and that like, it was, yeah, it's something else but it also felt like home for me you know just being in a dancing school and you know working with performing kids but, but those kids are, are like aliens I mean we've had a succession of, of big kids shows with Billy Elliot and Matilda yep. and School of Rock yep. and you look at the, the phenomenal talent that seven year olds have and you think George H.C. I know you've had him on the show before absolutely you know like like ridiculous talent like ridiculous like it's just it is it's out of this world they're aliens mm, yeah. and you're just watching them do things that I probably actually I could never do um you know at this late stage and at at that age and having that you know that those conversations with them and the evolution and the growth of their talent and performing and what they see and their imagination. I mean, that is, yeah, it's extraordinary. The future's good. Yeah, um, the future's great. And we just have to look at old J.C. Williamson's programs and we have that original yep. Australian production of Maine where young Patrick was played by David, David Atkins. That's right, yeah. And uh, Philip Gould. Yep. Yeah, yep. and Tony Sheldon in Oliver. Absolutely, and, yeah. but even you know, you look at things like when we did Mary Poppins and now Michaels and Janes, and we have you know Scout Hook, who's in Moulin Rouge. They're in Moulin Rouge, and you have I'm looking at Rose Shannon and Cameron Keeley, who are in American in Paris, and it's just like, wow, you are my Michael and Janes. We did the Super Cow together, and now look at you. You're all you know, just all stepping up. So the future is really great. You know, especially after we've had shows like School of Rock and Billy Elliot, because they've got the grounding and they've got, you know, and kids seeing kids, you know, up on that stage again. It's it's like, yeah, I want to do that. I want to be there, you know. So you have more kids wanting to branch out and do arts and entertainment through school or through, you know, performing arts school and through dancing classes. So, yeah, it's really cool. Mm. Yeah. You would have seen a lot of uh, dance school work as a kid, but... Do you recall that first big musical that you saw, which you thought... You know what? Well, yeah, like 42nd Street, you know, because that was something that really... Because also, you know, I I always wanted to be a tap dog um, and watching Dean Perry in that show was something... And the tap dancing in that show 
um, is extraordinary and I love its brassiness. I love the gold. I love the lights. I love the green. You know, we're in the money number. Like that was really something that really stuck with me. And then funnily enough, it's like another show that my sister was in called Me and My Girl. And I just, I loved its classicness. You know, I loved the classic feel of that. Also growing up because kind of they were the songs that I was singing for my auditions for Oliver and Annie and because that was, you know, but I just, I really liked the simplicity of that show. Um, And I loved its musicality. You know, it was musical theatre to me Mm. Um, because 42nd Street was big and brassy and bold. And then, you know, me and my girl. So they were kind of the two shows. And because my sister was in it, oh, and Cats, because my sister was in Cats and I was, you know, back then, you know, she would pick me up from school or I'd catch the bus straight to the theatre while she was in tech if she was babysitting me. So I'd just sit in the Theatre Royal, you know, while they're all teching on stage, which is such a weird thing, you know. But, but is there no wonder you're doing what you do now? <laughs> I know. Well, and also because I'm going back into the Theatre Royal, I have these really fond memories of just going, oh. I used to sit down there and just like do my homework while you know cats were crawling down through the through the, and and be scared of McCavity because he used to come from the audience. So I have these really fond memories, but they were kind of three shows that I will always remember um as being in my life, but three different shows. I mean, you know, all I want to do is tap dance. Tap dancing is my forte. So, you know, if there's anyone out there listening, I do want to be on 42nd Street as a creative. Thank you. <laughs> you did get to be a top tap dog, didn't you? I did get to be a tap dog, yes. I'd actually just finished Hair, um, the musical. I think we are on our last weekend or something, and I was in the dressing room between shows, and I got, there's this call from Dean Perry on my phone. And he was like, and I had done Steel City with Dean Perry. Um, that was your first. That was pro my gig, first, wasn't yep, it? pro gig after um, full time. And he'd said, "Oh, hi, Spud," which is my nickname for him. Spud, what do you feel um, about being a tap dog? And I went, "What?" And he said, "Do you want to do tap dogs?" And I said, "Fuck yeah!" Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> this is a podcast. This is a podcast. Like you want? And I was like, "Fuck yeah!" Fuck yeah. <laughs> And it's, it's like, are you being for? Are you being serious? And he's like, "Yep, look, we're going to add a girl into the show for the Saddlers Well UK um, show, and you know, let's see what we go from there." And I'd literally like, I, I went, "Okay, thanks, bye," and hung up on him, but just couldn't believe my ears. Like, it was extraordinary. Like being able to tap dance like that, you know, with those boys who are phenomenal tappers. You know, some of the best tappers in the world, and. You know, we went to the UK and we did Sadler's Wells and, you know, we he, he created the spot, kind of made a, f- a few spots for us girls to fit into. But then we went to, he did another version of it where it was Tap Dogs Rebooted for the States. And I went in as the funky role, which is usually, which originally was um, originated by Darren Disney. Um, so I went into that role for the U- US tour and... It was harder because there was no... It wasn't like he had done, okay, so the girls do easy stuff. It's like, no, you're in that role and you were climbing up those ladders and tap dancing down those ladders and sliding. I was like, I can't. He's like, well, then you have to do it. And I was like, but that's hard. And he's like, yep, and you have to do it. You know, we were pulling up the ramps. I was pulling up ramps and it was great because it wasn't... He didn't gender... You know, he was doing, you know, this like kind of not 
making us work any less because we were female, you know. And there was only three of us on the on the US tour stage. So he was like, right, you'll have a, a one moment, but then you get into the tap dog show as is. So you do everything with the boys as their characters. You're doing triggers, you're pulling ramps, you're setting up the stage, you know, you're doing jaws, you're jumping on scaffold. Like there was no real change in the show just because of, you know, our gender, which was extraordinary and it was so hard but it was just so amazing doing the show was amazing touring on a bus with you know what 12 boys and us on bunk beds not so amazing <laughs> um but an, an awesome experience like i mean it was I, I just don't think anyone will ever get that experience and the way that you know the tap dancing is musically next level anyway so it was just like all of my dreams of tap dancing, being a tap dog had really just come true. And that was one of my goals forever. Cause I never thought that he would do that. Mm. You know, I never thought that would ever add a woman into tap dogs and he did. And yeah, it was just amazing. You know, it must have been great risk of injury. I mean, oh, huge, with, with any huge. Dancer. I mean, lots, lots how, you know, how do you look after yourself? Um, uh, you well you come straight off as we come straight off the show we sit down and all stage management have buckets of ice for us all so boots off sit down put our feet in a bucket of ice and you have a beer you know while you while they pack down the stage because most of the time across the US you're doing one-nighters so you bump in you bump out like you literally sleep on the bus um so always icing always legs up always a beer I mean <laughs> that's really what kept us going what does the ice do the ice, so if you've got shin splints or it just cools all the, it you like because you put your legs up so you can move the blood around, um, so it can kind of go, and then the ice just kind of freezes it, solidifies it in its right places, um, and just kind of takes the inflammation down really quickly, yeah. um, and it's good for your feet and your toes, and you know from them up it just kind of translates through the rest of the body, but I mean the show kept us fit, the show was the show is ridiculous, I mean. Yeah, the show is ridiculous. I mean, I, I think I had a six-pack for once in my life. I was ripped. <laughs> you played Radio City Musical. Oh, wow, yeah, we did oh. that. Yeah, that was pretty cool. And we did that with Steel City. And, um, I mean, I, I, I was abseiling from the top of Radio City in tap dancing spikes. And because there was... As per usual, you know, I'm scared of heights, so Dean makes me go up to the top and be the only girl that's going to abseil in the show. You know, he, it, but I will, you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And, you know, sitting at the top, because we'd abseiled at Star City, but it's not anywhere near the size of Radio City Musical. So you're climbing up. I think they had to add in an extra, you know, two minutes to the show because the climb to the top is big enough. And we're sitting there and it was... It just looking down, I was like, "Oh, okay, right. This is the end. This is the end." Um, but, but at least it was radio. At least it was Radio City Musical, you know. <laughs> and it was somewhere where we met Gregory Hines, and he loved our show, and he was so supportive of Dean and the company. And it's it's you know, I mean, and that was my second real because Steel City was our first show, so we went to Radio City after we toured the country for a year. So that was my second venue I ever got to play in in my career. Wow. I mean. Like, it's extraordinary. You know, it was, yeah, it was just something else. And, yeah, really special. You mentioned Gregory Hines. Uh, who were the dance idols that you had growing up? Um, definitely in Australia was, you know, Kelly Abbey, my sister Jackie, um, Dean Perry, 
Um, who else? Oh, I really, I loved, um, you know, fame was big in my life, you know. So Debbie Allen was very big in my life. Gregory Hines was big in my life at that time, just as people to see. Um, but that was it, really. I don't, you know, I don't have... I like my idols change because, you know, I like to evolve and I like yeah. to be inspired by new yeah. and fresh people. But definitely in my life at that early stage, they were definitely, you know, really big influences on my life. Yeah. Um, impressive credits as an actor. Mamma Mia, nice work if you can get it. Aladdin, Hair, Mary Poppins, Fame, Avenue Q. Yeah, lots of nice credits. Fun ones. Do you enjoy the machinery of a big commercial musical? Yeah, I do. I love it. I really love it. I, you know, there's always going to be boundaries in a commercial musical, but, you know, I like to push them. <laughs> so, you know, I do like to, you know, push them a little bit and see how far I can push and, you know, try to move some goalposts, you know, and move some, In you know, I just, I probably do keep people on their toes a little bit more just because I'm not, a conformist in any way you know and I like to explore the different avenues of where we are in the world and you know so you know I just think I, I love the process but I also love to challenge the process yeah you know but it is it's really great we're very lucky to be able to have producers that still are out there you know putting their money you know where their mouths are and really keeping us all in work yeah you know and I'm really grateful for that what was it like working with Pollyanna? Uh, the Mill sisters. Hayley oh, and Juliet gosh. in Legends. I love Hayley and Juliet yeah. um, so much, you know. And look, every couple of months we still email and I keep in touch. And, right. you know, we really try to keep, you know, Maxwell. Because Maxwell's daughter lives in New Zealand. So Maxwell Caulfield, who is Juliet's husband. From um, Greece too. Greece too, that's right. But it was, I mean, when Frosty... Just said, Leah, come into my office. I, I need to have a meeting. I was like, oh, shit, what's happening? Oh, God, oh, God. And he said, threw the script at me, do you want to do this? And I was like, what is it? And he's like, well, my friends Haley, Haley and Juliet, I'm going to bring them out to do this show, and I'd like you to play this role. I was like, I don't have to audition? He's like, no, nah, read it if you want to do it. We'd love you to do it. Um, and then I was just like, Haley and Juliet Mills? Like Juliet from Passions. <laughs> like with see, the wee doll. <laughs> I'm, saying, I'm, I'm older. I was talking about uh, Haley and Pollyanna. Oh, uh, yeah, but the, yeah. But Disney I, films. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just, it was amazing. And yeah. they are so lovely. But literally, I mean, the play, you know, it was like real life. Because they would smash things and I would go out and clean up things and be, you know, their housekeeper and, you know, look up. <laughs> it was like, this is like real life. You know, we'd be in rehearsals. They forget their lines. I come out and... Okay, you need to say this. Yep, okay, right, you're here. You know, this is where we are in the script. Okay, off you go. <laughs> you know, but they are beautiful. I went and um, stayed with Hayley in London. She came to Edinburgh to see Velvet. I brought them up to Edinburgh to see Velvet. Um, but just, you know, I mean, legends, but just lovely women. And, you know, you. I, that's what I love about my job is that I get to meet people and we just create family. You know, as much as they are Hayley Mills and Juliet Mills, it's still, it just becomes family now, you know. And it's also important for me when I finish things like that, just to keep connected. Because you can so easily just finish a show and run off and get onto another show. And I just kind of feel, well, but 
we've lived a whole life together. You know, it might be like, you know, Mary Poppins and Aladdin, we lived, you know, two to four years together. Yeah. That's not just a show. Relationships are very much accelerated, yes. aren't they? Yeah. In the theatre. Yeah. You, you meet somebody that morning, cup of tea, and then Best that, that afternoon, yep. you, yep. you Next forge minute. this relationship yeah. That's that you it. have to have on stage. Yep. Which transgresses to, to off stage as well. Yeah. And you do. And I always just feel like, oh, like, you know, let's continue this because we have a friendship. We went for teas. You know, we, you met my family. You, you know, we, you came over to our house. Like, this is not just like we're actors working. Like, you know, let's just stay in touch. I want to make sure, you know, you were always going to be okay. And if you ever need anything, I'm always here, you know. Yeah. I think that's important because it is. It can be so fleeting. You've had um, a run as a choreographer as well. Yes, yes. Do you enjoy choreography? I love choreography. Creating you know, movement for people? I do, I really do. And I've I've really realised, like, later on, you know, in this part of my career, how much my, you know, understanding of choreography and dance has changed and connecting the physical to the metaphysical and, and storytelling through our bodies, you know. And it's it's been, you know, down to working with all the people that I've worked with, you know. Cameron Mitchell, you know, City Labi Chikawi, uh, you know, Jeffrey uh, Garrett, Stephen Miller. It's just beautiful things that, you know, you pick up along the way and just I just absorb. I'm, you know, I'm really a big chocolate sponge cake. And I do. I just absorb, and I love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're devising movement vocabulary for to tell a story, aren't yep. you? And that's, yep. that's uh, vital. And it character. is, and it's so interesting because I'm now working with Baker Boy, um, the Indigenous uh, rapper, music artist here in Australia, and he. <clears throat> it's great because. We're doing 90s hip-hop, which is completely my jam, but we're also now, you know, really adding more storytelling through it, which is just, it's 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 weird because usually, you know, I would have just, back in the day, I just would have choreographed for a pop act and it would just be, you know, yeah, great, whatever. But now we're musically, you know, um, you know, incorporating, you know, the Yiraki or didgeridoo and, and his storytelling of his rap that he's talking about because he also raps in language. So it's, yeah, it's just, I love it. It's just like, wow, this is a whole nother level for a pop artist, you know, and to be a part of this, and this it's great, you know, and yeah, so we're having a really good time. Yeah, you, you've, you've got to think of your audience too, who they were communicating yep. to and, and act like high five when you're creating choreography for a children's audience. Yep. Yep. It's very different, you know, and I took that job over um, when Cameron Mitchell had to leave. And it was interesting, like working with early childhood directors that kind of, you know, tell you you can't do that choreography because kids will do it at home and might, you know, hurt themselves. I'm like, yeah, probably jumping off the table. Yeah, probably isn't ideal. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it was. It's very different. But It also taught me a lot about storytelling as well through trying to portray this movement and connect it in an educational way, you know, which I loved. You know, I really loved that, that my time at High Five. But I also, you know, wanted to make it a bit funky too, you know, in my style. But, yeah, always came back to educational and watching what the kids pick up on quite easily and what they don't, you know, was really great to know, especially for, you know, my the future of my career when I did other kids shows it was like okay now I know how this goes now I know what kids want but I also want to challenge kids I don't ever want them to just do step touch because that's what we think they need at that age you know like let's give them a complicated you know 
six to eight, da- you know, six eights of dance break. Let's do it. Let's yeah. just see what they pick up, Absolutely. you know. Treat them like, you know, they're still intelligent. Don't underestimate Don't underestimate yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, COVID brought all sorts of new entertainment experiences. One of them was a, uh, a live stream musical, Who's Your Bag Daddy or How I Started the Iraq War, which Neil Gooding uh, produced and, and directed. You were a choreographer on that. Yeah, I was. How do you choreograph something which is happening uh, on a screen? Had no idea how. Like <laughs> but it was, it was spectacular. I'm still... I still am like really I loved that show like the it's just I kind of go why isn't it just keep like we've just got to keep airing it because it was spectacular what uh, what we all created together in that house so they um, had a COVID house so we everyone just came in and each actor had their own room and then I'd be downstairs Neil was on um, Zoom in New York I think at the time um, and so he was on the other Zoom but then all the characters were um, on Zooms as well. Wow. So, the I mean, the technical aspect of it was extraordinary. But it was... So I would watch it. They had a big projector on the screen, on the wall, and I was just sitting in the lounge room watching everybody. So I would... And I had a microphone to their innies. So I'd be like, okay, great. So on this song, Adam Rennie, you need to look right, while Laura Murphy, you need to look left on the five count. Okay, so let's try that. Like it was eyeball choreography you know okay so and then we had things passing through the screen so it was like right Doug Hansel pass to Troy Sussman on the four Sussy you grab on the go for the three you should have by the four you know so it was amazing like I've (laughs) never done anything like it but just loved the whole experience loved the show you know then we it was great because I could use my um, pop music video skills and I would be telling our tech okay so when Matt Matthew Predney does this I want everybody's screen to roll around and you know so all the boxes should just spin like a spinning wheel while he's singing in the middle like it was yeah it was awesome it was so clever I you know, I I think we really outdid ourselves, and for it to live stream for six shows, yeah. you know, the producers were genius in 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 doing that because it worked so well. I I mean, touch wood, I don't think we had a glitch. Not that we're going to do it again, but I don't think we ever had a glitch. Yeah. yeah, but it was. I think the glitch was more the website, but um, it was. Yeah, it was amazing. It was an extraordinary feat. Yes. Um, <clears throat> Uh, quite magical, but but let's hope we don't have to go through that again. Let's hope we don't have to go through it again. No, that no. I think we're fine with that now. Yeah. Uh, do you read reviews, Leah? No, I don't. You don't? No, not really. really? No. True? No. no. Okay, great. Yeah, I don't know. And why is that? Because I just, I like to, I just like everyone, everyone will have their own opinion, you know, and that's fair. And... You know, it's just like I want. As long as you experience it, that's fine. You know, you can have whatever you take away. Whatever feelings you take away from this show, mm. everybody's going to be different. Um, people going to love you. People going to hate you. People going to love it. People going to hate it. Like you know, and there'll be all everybody in between, and yeah. that's great. Yeah. You know, so it's just like I. You know, everyone. I like walking out in the front of the audience at the end of the show and just hearing people's you know um, banter and and chit chat, and that's. All the reviews you need, people are still coming, you know. Yeah. People are coming for their experience and it will always be different, you yeah. know. You're on the other side of the audition table now. You're, you're sitting on the panel. Yep. What advice do you have for 
prospective auditionees? What's the... I always like them to come in and have fun. You know, the thing is that we want them, you know, and I will give my time up for anybody to work on, have sessions, to text me if you're feeling anything because I want you to come in at your best and I want you to be comfortable. You know, I think it's just... Auditions were always so tense for actors and performers. (coughs) Excuse me. And... I don't want that because you don't give your best. So no, just, no. you know, come in. Look, I'm not going to say bring a Pavlova um, into an Aladdin audition, but, you know, like, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> come in. Just come in and talk to us and have fun. And I also want audition panels just to chill a bit. Like, yeah. you know, I understand that there is a lot at stake, but let's make them comfortable. Like, Yes, you're not going to you get know? your best work no. from perspective uh, No, talent. don't be, you know, hard up. Sure, you've had a long day, but Resting everyone, you know, yeah, mm. can't, you know, I'm just not, in, I'm not down for that. Um, but it's also, I always say to students or people that I mentor, it's like, go in and have fun. If anything, go in, you're having a workshop with US creatives, yeah. UK creatives, yeah. you know, Australian creatives. Go in and take everything you can. Don't even worry. Think about it like dance class, singing lesson, you know, an acting an acting um, session. Just go, workshop, yeah. play. That's what we want you to see, what we want to see. Yeah. You know, like, we want you to be great. We'd love for you, the first person, to walk in and go, bam, they've got the job. Second person, got the job. The, t- the first 40 people, cast the show. Let's move. Let's go, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just want people to play, yeah. you know, and really it's always going to feel nervous, but don't be. Rejection can feel like a big part of the career also. It is. You, you miss out on the jobs. <laughs> it's just part of the gig, isn't part it? Part of the gig. What advice do you have for, for, for young performers just starting out? Who it's part of the gig. That? You will be rejected more than... A thousand times in your life. Then book the gig. Yep, that's it. You know, there's always something else. Don't worry. Just, yep, move on. Is social media um, an essential tool for a career, do you think? It's funny, yeah. I I, I love social media, but I very... I like using it for my... Well, look, I'm pretty... um, I I, I like to... You know, I am authentic to who I am, so my social media reads as that. Um, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how I'm not finding it's less about profiles these days, especially after COVID maybe, um, a profile is always good, but also, you know, everyone has a profile now because everyone has had their 15 minutes of fame, TikTok, Instagram reels, whatever it may be, you've had it reality TV. Um, and I think it may play a little part. I don't think, I think it's a good tool for you to utilize, but make sure you do it, you know, well, or, you know, it's just, there's just so many things. It's like, what are you going to use it for? And if you're not going to use it for work, make it private, yeah. you know, yeah. like, I don't think we all want to see everyone be drunk all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll go to the club if I want to see that, but yeah, like I just, you know, there is a smart way to use it, but I do think it's a great tool and it's fun and it's, you know, reflective of art in this day and age as well. Yep. You know, so I think really, you know, buckle it, you know, buckle down and use it correctly. You know, I love TikTok. I'm a, I'm a proper TikTok creator. Um, and so I, cause I love dance 
And I love the way that TikTok has embraced people that can't dance. And all of a sudden, everyone can dance. And it's great. And have rhythm and music. And, you know, it's also just... I I, I do. I just love it. It was a great way for me to keep fit through COVID. I would just film a TikTok a day. So I'd learn a a dance trend and just do it myself. And just uh, it was my half hour of, you know, of power and sweat for for the day through lockdown. And it was great, you know. And I really get fit and feed the soul. That's it. Yeah. Are you superstitious in the theatre? Yes. Really? Okay. Great. Oh gosh. Yeah, I am, and I don't know what. Like, is that that the family? Were they? I think so. Yeah. So it's yeah. So you know, whistling in the theatre. If you're listening to this, everyone, you know who you are. You can't whistle in the theatre. Like, gosh, like all the time, the poor, you know, poor peeps at Jagged Little Pill. Um, I think who was it? Aiden. Um, and Liam Head, who plays Nick Healy and they play Phoenix. Um, they whistle. And I'll be in my dressing room and I'll hear them. I'll be like, who the F's whistling? Get out. Upstairs. Off you go. Go outside. Turn around. Come back in. Knock on the door and ask if you can be allowed and swear. Like, uh, that whistling is the, the, the kind of, I think, probably the only real superstition I have in the theatre. My sister has uh, new shoes on the table, but yeah, I think the theatre one is only whistling for me. I can't, I can't get it. And I try and I'm like, am I going to pull this person up? I have to, I have to. Otherwise, what's going to (laughs) happen? Well, it harks back to when the flyman used to whistle. Yes, that's right. So that's why you couldn't whistle because they didn't have comms at that time. So they would whistle to, yeah, that's it. But yeah. So it's based in good... Uh, oh, good, good I hope good so. <laughs> so what will you be doing on opening night of Jagged Little Pill when it starts? Do you have a, an opening night routine that you... Yeah, you know, I like to make sure that we all connect, you know, as a cast and crew, whole company, producers included, on our stage before we actually go up. Um, and look, if, if there's, you know, I think it is, it's really just about connecting and reminding people that this show is no different to the preview or the show that's going to come after it or any show after that. It's just a show, yeah. you know, like it's uh, opening nights to me are really, <clears throat> excuse me, interesting because it is, it's just another show. The stakes are high because I'm not sure why anymore, because every audience to me is an important audience, mm. you know, so, um, yeah, I just like to remind everyone, let's just stay grounded. Let's just be, do our show. Don't let the adrenaline, because maybe your favourite rock stars in the building, change anything. Um, yeah, just, yeah, that's really what I like to do before an opening. Just keep everyone real, keep everyone, you know. Well, it'll be a, a return season to Sydney. Yes, it will We're be. Very much looking forward to having it back at uh, the Theatre Royal. You're there Very from uh, July 9th to August 21st. Yes, yes. So yeah. it's a yeah. nice run. A really nice run, considering we only did two and a half weeks last time we were here. Yeah, yeah. But you played you know? Melbourne. and you Yeah, played... we played Melbourne, played three months in Melbourne, and we did, you know, we did, it was really great. We had great houses towards the end of the, of the run, just because people had confidence again coming back into it after COVID. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, the cities were not back, you know, but... GWB, you know, really with, with you know, so much respect and gratefulness, they just keep pushing, you know, regardless. And it wasn't great. And then towards the end, after the Australian Open, people just started to feel confident about sitting in the theatre together, COVID safer, you know, so it was really great to see. Yeah. And- GWB are 
great new player on the scene. Great. Um, fantastic fair with oh. the, an American in Paris, which is just divine. Oh, what amazing. I know. And yeah. you know what? GWB have been great. Most of my shows, you know, they've been amazing for my career, such supporters of me. Um, and I love that they're brave, you know, and they love that, you know, they really, really try to push the boundaries um, and they bring new stuff to us. Oh, you know? Girl from the North Country. Girl I from mean, the North Country. an extraordinary piece of theatre. Who? Yeah, like yeah. it's... And just, I mean, Jagged Little Pill. I mean, yeah. you know, it is. It's just extraordinary. And so, you know, I've been with them since Avenue Q days. And, you know, Avenue Q back then, even that was, you know, really a hard sell, but a groundbreaking piece of theatre. Um, you know, and just, yeah, so fresh and vibrant. I love, I really love working with them. Yeah. yeah. Um, but look, after Vivid as well, you know, Sydney's back. So, you know, we're hoping that everybody really comes out and comes back to the theatre and we're, you know, we've got great shows on in the city at the moment. So, like, it's just really exciting, especially for Sydney. You know, it's been very rare since we've had all these theatres filled um, with really, really great and different shows. But, yeah, it's exciting. It's an exciting time for us. Yeah. And a great cast, Natalie Bassingthwaite, uh, Tim Draxel, Maggie McKenna, all doing stellar work. Stellar work. Yeah. Like, ugh, it's, you know, there we've got such great levels, you know, of careers in the show. And it's really great to see. We've got some freshies who've never done a show before, like Emily Nakomo, Aiden. And it's just really, really amazing. Everyone has just flown. And you have Nat Bassingthwaite and Tim Draxel at the helm. You know, there's so much greatness and so much inspiration that they provide whether they know it or not you know it's really important watching those two do their craft because we learn so much from it you know and we learn how to be and we learn we it's really it's it's an inspiring leaders at the top of our show you know so it's really it's just great you know the the cast are getting schooled whether they know it or not you know on how just to be in this life watch and learn yep Yep, absolutely. Well, Leah Howard... um, Or live and learn. Live and learn. Yeah, absolutely. Watch and live and learn. Watch and live and learn. (laughs) (laughs) Leah Howard, thank you. We'd only met each other a couple of times before, but I feel like I've known you a lifetime. I know, it does. um, Thank you for a lovely chat. Have you had a nice time? I've had a lovely time, and thank you for my green tea. (laughs) Chookers for Jagged Little Pill. Thank you, and I'll see you on opening night. Absolutely. And we'll pop a champus. Lovely. Thank you, beauty. Thanks for joining us in this episode of Stages. You can check out all of the episodes featured in the podcast thus far by visiting our website, www.stagespodcast.com.au. Jagged Little Pill plays the Theatre Royal in Sydney from July 9th to August 21st. It is presented by GWB Entertainment and features Natalie Bassingthwaite, Tim Draxel and Maggie McKenna, leading a stellar company and a score by Alanis Morissette. This electrifying Broadway smash hit musical is the joyful and redemptive story we need right now. Ignited by the seminal album that defined a generation, this life-changing production about a perfectly imperfect family in 21st century suburbia will make you jump out of your seat and remember what it's like to feel truly human. I'm Peter Ayers. Keep well, keep warm, stay safe, and I'll catch you next time.